Hello there, and welcome to the Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden podcast, a show to encourage and empower creative CEOs just like yourself through actionable legal, tax, and financial topics. I'm Brayden Drake, an author, lawyer, tax pro, and educator, but you can just call me Brayden, your gay best friend, here to help you unfuck that biz. If you're ready to dive in, grab a notebook, maybe some coffee, and buckle in to learn how you can implement solid strategies to build a profitable business. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm very excited because today I am joined by, I want to say like my BFF, but we just met two weeks ago, but we're basically on track. I feel like Kira LaForgia is the owner of Paradigm Consulting, which exists to help entrepreneurs establish HR strategies, bridging a gap between corporate and small business. How did I do on that intro? That was so good. I'm actually going to write that down because I needed like a one sentencer and I feel like I'm so wordy all the time, which I guess we'll find out together now on your podcast. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, you know, we kind of like edit it down if you know, if it gets too wild. Um, and I'll send you, I'll send you that little intro that we just came up with. Okay. Kira. Oh gosh, so you're my publicist and you're my BFF. This is great. Yes. BFF, <laughs> GBF, publicist, all of the things. So Kira, we, so we met, all right, let, let's give a little bit of background and color to the story. So I DM'd our mutual friend, Jared, husband and co-worker of Abigail, who is co-owner of Boss Project. That was a really lengthy way to say that. Um, but I asked who had been helping them with their hiring because you all should go tune into the Strategy Hour podcast. Fantastic podcast. I've been a guest three times. You can go listen to my episodes. Of course, they were fabulous, obviously. <laughs> but they've been talking a lot on their podcasts about all the hiring they've been doing. And I've been thinking, I really need to talk about some HR stuff on my podcast. Who have they been working with? Because I know they've been working with someone. So I reached out and they said, Kira, you got to talk to her. And when I first, I do not do, do very much due diligence before I just like willy nilly DM people. I didn't even know until you responded that you were in San Diego. So we went and got lunch, which was fabulous. Yeah, it was great. It was so embarrassing too, because you DM'd me and you said, like, I have this case study for Boss Project, which, you know, your listeners can go and look at. Um, but it talks about the first part of our experience together. And I had done a promo where you know, those bots you have on Instagram where they like send you a link to something if you send somebody a word. So uh -huh. I was trying that out for a while and the word was boss. So you messaged me and then my Instagram like bot DM'd you back like, hey, go check out the case study at blah, blah, blah. And you were like, okay, cool. So anyway, I know boss project, like, do you like want to talk about HR? And then it triggered it again. And it was like, hey, go check out our case study. So I didn't even actually know that you had DM'd me because it didn't show me that I had a new DM because my bot responded. So it was like a few hours later and I was like, oh my God, how embarrassing. I'm sorry. My bot's been like harassing you because it just happened that every time the trigger word was sent, I actually canceled that service now because it was stressing me out. Okay. But, okay. I feel like bots could be good sometimes, but I do remember getting that message and I was like talking to my VA at the time. <laughs> I was like, so I DM this girl to ask her to come on my podcast. And she just sent me a link to her blog. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like I'm too badass to like, actually like. <laughs> too cool. Too cool for to school. Anyone. No, I have plenty of time. Please DM me. I'm available for chatting. <laughs> yes. DM everyone go follow Kira. Okay. So Kira, let's talk about, we're going to segue into some hiring questions to, to give everyone a little bit of insight as to where we're going. We're going to talk about 
who you should hire, when you should hire, what it looks like to hire, specifically like this difference between contractors and employees, right? So when you should be hiring employees. And I think if you're thinking, you know what, Brayden, I'm still pretty beginner in my business. This doesn't sound like something that's going to be interesting to me or useful. It's definitely going to be interesting, more useful. You might be surprised because hiring employees sooner rather than later could be a good idea. But before we get there, Kira, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this world of HR? Yeah. So about, I don't know, 13 or 14 years ago now, I got my first job out of college and was working in corporate doing sales, camouflage, just camouflage is something else. Um, met my husband the first day of work, tried not to date him. That's another story for another day, but I'm only telling you that because you're my BFF, but whatever. So we worked <laughs> together for a while. Um, we were pressured to get a love contract. So I had some interaction with HR. It was also a high pressure sales job. So there was lots of interaction with HR, but my, I originally wanted to work in international nonprofits. So that's what I went to college for, whatever. So I decided to go back to school through that company. They paid for it. I got my grad degree in organizational management because I was so mismanaged at this company. And during that process, it just kind of morphed into this like super like passionate, like I did some leadership certifications and like stuff like that to like learn about how to get people to work best. And so I was coaching teams and leading teams, but I was super young. So like I had to be in firing conversations with people that were like two, maybe three times my age. Like it was just really stressful. Um, and so of course I burned out really quickly, escaped, convinced all my friends to go to Europe. We left for three months, came back and I got a job, very entry level operations position, like totally following my like gut, I guess, for like what I really wanted to spend time doing um, instead of going into sales. And there was like a 70 or $80,000 starting pay difference for those jobs. But I decided to like, kind of go the direction of like what I wanted to try out. Cause I knew I could get a sales job a little later if I wanted to and use my degree, use my grad degree, use my leadership, leadership experience, like get a team under my belt. And essentially what happened was I've been at that company now for 10 years, almost and I had got started out as like a site manager with a team of 15 and then developed into absorbing four other people's jobs. So essentially two site managers, training and development managers, um, a general manager, HR, and the operations manager side of things that the owner was previously doing, because I really didn't want to go back to corporate. Like I was so traumatized by my corporate experience. Like my boss would like slam people's laptops on their hands if they weren't paying attention. Like, and this is like a big, at the time they were one of the biggest employers in San Diego. They're not here anymore. Shocker. Um, but <laughs> essentially like all that toxic stuff, like coming right out of college, like I graduated right after the 2008 recession. So it was like, you kind of took what you can get. And it sort of just like made me desperate not to go back to that environment. So I was like, oh, cool. I can get paid more if I take over this person's job and this person's job. So like a five or six person leadership team, I'll say five and a half because the owner, you know, um, they don't do all of it. Um, but essentially making it into a job that could afford me a life in San Diego and by like essentially adding people's salaries together over time and making a case for myself to stay in the small business environment. So what it did over the course of like three or four years of doing this is it made me not only have to really lean into my leadership and management skills, but it doubled my team to 50 people over two in-person locations. And I had to take all of that and learn HR. So, cause every single day as a manager is HR. 
Uh-huh. So it kind of gave me like a lot of times people will go and get a degree in HR and then they end up as a manager or they stay in HR. And for me, it was different. I was managing people. And then I learned how to leverage HR to have shitty conversations and leaning on policies and actually like still be able to have fun with my team at work because I could use the HR strategies to like sort of shortcut myself into like not having to deal with all of this stuff. So, so that's how I got here. I got to rewind for a second and ask <laughs> what the fuck is a love contract? Oh yeah, this is good. So <laughs> a set, when you're in HR, you learn that everything is a threat. <laughs> which is essentially like anything that has a feeling and opinion, like that's why you're not supposed to talk about politics at work, like all this stuff, because it can create a toxic work environment, which that's all like, you know, I think probably your listeners are like, no, I started my business to get away from all of that. So what they do in HR is they create these things called love contracts, which is essentially just two people sitting in a room and saying, this is a consensual relationship, but it's not going to affect our work and we're not going to have a conflict of interest. So it's like, it was like a, basically a marriage contract for in the company to be like, we're consensual and we're not like cheating on our sales numbers or whatever. Gotcha. Um, I would so, imagine that also, that also helps, you know, prevent like any potential like harassment claims down the road too. Exactly. Yeah. Cause everything harassment is objective. So essentially anything that makes you feel uncomfortable, othered, alone, whatever can be considered harassment. So it's really to protect the company. And so it puts people in a position to have to bring their relationship to like the forefront of their job, which is actually like really problematic. And one of the things that we like to change in the work that we do for entrepreneurs, most people meet their partners at work. So why should somebody have to suffer based on finding a relationship? It's hard enough to date. I've heard Tinder's tough. Like, I don't know. It's been yeah, a while. I've, honest, I've, had, but... <laughs> I've, I've had a friend who made partner on a law firm and then ended up having to get a different job because she did not t- did not even tell the other the other people in the law firm that they were dating until after three years a week before they were supposed to then get married <laughs> and then she went I was like oh this is wild but any anyhow we could chat yeah. about that at our, <laughs> our next lunch my date. gosh that is a really fun conversation I love to hear those stories especially if your listeners have them this is like perfect blog content because it's so tough to navigate, but it's exactly what HR is for creating a comfortable and safe work environment. But HR has prevented people from being their true selves. And oftentimes women are the people that are suffering from these patriarchal and misogynist policies that have been around for like a century. So we've changed it all and manipulated it and developed it into something that online entrepreneurs can actually use. (laughs) Love that. Okay. We're going to talk about that for sure. (laughs) Meanwhile, well, how did you get into, so we talked, we talked about how you got into this new role, started getting into management. When did you just start your current company and how did you get into that? Yeah. So during what I like to call very insensitively, I might add, um, adult summer break, which was March to June of 2020. Um, I no longer had to go to work and I had all this time. And after doing five people's jobs and getting burnout so bad the previous year that I got diagnosed with PTSD, um, because I didn't know how to delegate. I had the resources. I just didn't do it because I have control issues. That's a story for another day in another podcast. Um, but I learned how to do all of this stuff through getting through that problem. And so during COVID, I was like, I feel like there are a lot of businesses out there that are going to remote. They need help learning to manage teams. There's all these businesses that are blowing up. Um, so I actually wanted to empower women to start their own businesses. So they didn't get into a situation that I was in, which is where I was so burned out 
at the like, you know, whim of whatever my boss decided to do during COVID, all this stuff. And then over time, it developed into like, well, HR and operational strategy and how you manage your people is really what I know how to do the best. So it's sort of, instead of just doing general business consulting, which I have done for a long time, but just like here and there, um, I like dove in during COVID and then kind of just started to nice. take off and it really blew up over the last year or so. So before we get, I have a little bit of a list, uh, a little list of questions, mm-hmm. specific questions that I want to ask, but before we get into some of those, can you just give us like a broad overview of what it is that you do in your company? Like, yeah. I don't know, maybe because maybe because you have a boss project case study, you could talk a little bit about that. Or hypothetically, like if I said, oh, I want to hire my first employee, what are like, what are we doing? What am I paying you to help me with? Yeah. So we have a few, obviously like our offer suite is any stage of business that you're at. So we have a membership that's a little bit more for like the DIYers trying to figure out if they should hire a contractor, how they should delegate that. When does that turn into an employee and how to plan their operational structure to house a team, whether it is contractors or employees or both, my favorite. Um, so all that starts from the first person that you hire generally. So like somebody posted in a Facebook group yesterday, I need a VA. I don't know what I'm going to do with them, but I know I need help. And so I sent them my quiz, which is essentially here's, you can plug in all the information that you need help with, and it'll help you decide what kind of specialists you need. Um, because then you're going to actually get more results when you know exactly what you need to get for your help. And then generally developing that into a strategy as you eventually, once you start to delegate, you just start to grow because you have more time to put towards sales, marketing, you have more bandwidth. We call it the growth bandwidth. You expand your ability to take on more clients, more products, more creativity, more people, more energy towards your clients, referrals, whatever the case may be. And then you pretty after your first hire, you generally hire others. And so I think Abby and Emily, when we did the case study, it was only six months ago and they had six employees. Now they're coming up on 12. So, and that was like not that long ago because they were able to implement an entire new program that they had been kind of plateaued at before. And they talk about this a lot in the case study, but it's even bigger now. Um, So we have another higher level service that's more what Abby and Emily did, which is essentially I'm taking these contractors. I know that I like my revenues expanded, but I'm stuck where I'm at now. How can we turn that into a more affordable, more intentional team environment and create a company culture? And then from there, we also have management training programs. So you as a CEO or as a leader can learn how to actually use HR policies, learn to manage other people create a community of CEOs because there's a lot of things that are off limits and our online space sometimes thinks that our employees are our friends and that's not fair for you or for your employees. So learning how to be a manager is, yeah. let's just say it's been shown that we needed to create this high level one-to-one small group program for new managers or CEOs that are managing other people. Um, Cause once you get them, that's just where it starts. You know, uh-huh. it's not necessarily just, Oh, I'm done hiring. I'm good to like, grow now like you have a totally different job you mentioned that i'm paraphrasing i'm probably gonna take this a little bit out of context but you mentioned um essentially like scaling affordably or making like better financial decisions when it comes to moving contractors to employees i think a lot of us have this uh opinion i know i kind of do that working with employees is actually more expensive do you think that's not the case or is it you know, circumstantial? 
Um, well, it's your, it's your choice. So employees are going to be more expensive if you're going from a contractor that's helping you for a couple projects here and there to an employee that is consistently getting paid and working hours every single week because, you know, you kind of have to keep up with their hours, but you can still set a budget. So the cool thing about employees is they are about 15% more expensive because you have to subvert the payroll taxes and things like that. Um, but you are also in the control of how much you can spend. So essentially, if you're like, hey, I want a budget to have somebody work for me for 15 hours a week, I know I, I'm just going to use round numbers. I know I can afford $10 an hour. That is not allowed. We don't help people do that, but you know, I don't know math fast. So just bear with me. Sure. Um, so that's $150 a week. It's actually like 175 because 15% more expensive. I can definitely afford less than $1,000, less than $800 a month to have somebody help me for 10 solid hours a week, you make that offer. Whereas a contractor, you're like, I need some help. I need 10, about 10 hours a week worth of help. How much do you charge? And that kind of leans into the IRS and who's setting the rates and who's doing what. So your contractor is gonna charge you more because they have to talk about their, just like us, we have to deal with our own taxes, our own overhead, all of that good stuff, especially if they're good. Um, well, that but, makes a, that makes a really big assumption that they like know that they need to be doing all of those Right. Things. That's so true. Yeah, um, cause I, I, I noticed, you know, it's, it's the better people charge their worth when a VA is getting started, they call themselves a VA, but they very quickly specialize into whatever they're killing it at. So I often find, I don't think VAs are going to be around very much longer with the exception of when they're first getting started and figuring out what they're really good at, but you truly get what you pay for when it comes to contracted support, yeah. you know? So. Yeah. I don't, I don't remember if we talked about this at lunch. I feel like we did, but I actually, I'm at, it's funny. I'm actually recording this episode after we get done recording this episode, but it'll be released Ooh. a week earlier. And it's going to be my case study on hiring my copywriter. And I posted in a VA group looking for a copywriter and what I did was I paid them all to do a test project. I said, watch your hourly rate. Um, and then I said, I need you to write three emails. Um, you have up to X amount of time to do this, then send me an invoice. And then I ended up paying five people. And what I did was just kind of for fun, I emailed my, uh, or I messaged my mastermind with all of the emails I'd gotten from all the copywriters. And I told them what the five hourly rates were. And I had them guess who's, uh, I had them match the hourly rates to the emails just based on their assumptions. And they all nailed it. Like they matched up perfectly. So that was really good. And I ended up hiring the most expensive person because she had by far the best work product. Yeah. And a copywriter is a great example of a person that you would probably have as a contractor for a long time. Like you're very, just especially because of your field of work, my field of work, we don't need a contractor every single week to like, or a copywriter to every single week to write all of our, you know, sales copy, conversion copy, sales pages, whatever. Like the idea is that they work on these big projects. They help us with conversion copy. And then essentially it's project by project and they're contractor and we reach out and we might work with the same person all the time. I know I love my copywriter too. But again, ideally the people that are doing the repurposing of that copy, that are putting it into captions, that they're with you every single week, they're listening to your ideas, they're within your company culture, they're learning how you manage them. You know, you can count on a response really quickly back from them. Those are gonna be employees. Your copywriter, you can be like, here's everything I need. Please go do the market research, put together the sales copy, shoot it over in three weeks. Thank you so much. How much do you cost? Versus hey, here's my, you know, marketing assistant that's going to take that sales page and create 25 captions for me based on what this expert 
created. So instead of paying, you know, $2,500 for your copywriter to then repurpose their own words into captions, you're paying your marketing assistant for five hours of work. And yeah. it's much more manageable, probably around $20 an hour for the bet for the people that are paying really well. Okay. So, so let's, let's talk about this. We'll, we'll use myself as kind of a case study. I'm going to get free consulting advice from you on this podcast. I, I can't wait. Okay. I love it. My favorite hobby. Okay, cool. So I have, I call them roles. I have four roles in my business right now. So I have my copywriter. That was my latest hire, Juliet. She's killing it. And then I have my tech BA. She is in the Philippines and she has, I think about 15 to 20 clients at this point. So I don't know if she would even want to be an employee. Also hiring employees that are out of country, I'm sure is like a whole different yeah. situation that we <laughs> could talk about. Um, but my, the other two roles in my business, uh, it's funny because they're going to be listening to this podcast episode and we haven't even talked about this. So Heads oh, up, good. Emily and Chandra. <laughs> I've contemplated whether it would make sense to have them as employees. I don't know if they would want to be, but I'm going to tell you like what their role is. And then we can just talk about like pros, cons. Yeah. Yeah. So one of them does most of the marketing. She listens to each of these episodes before they go out and writes the show notes. Then she does Instagram posts and she creates reels. She does all of my PR pitches, um, all that stuff. And then the other role is my community manager, Chandra. And Chandra um, helps manage customer support emails. She helps out in the Facebook group. She attends all of my live calls just to help answer questions and do all that sort of stuff. So they are both really all four of these roles are on a weekly basis. My copywriter only writes a weekly email, which takes her, you know, like 15 to 20 minutes. And then it's for the rest, big project work. But I'm imagining that it might make sense for me to have two contractors and two employees at this point. But I'm curious what your thoughts are. Well, the, the coolest thing about what we do is that it just depends on what you need and what you want and what kind of business you want to run. So there's yeah. a lot of advice out there that's like, you have to have it be this way. And the only thing that I feel that way about is operations positions because, and I'm sure you can speak more look eloquently to this, but the IRS does establish in the, for the whole country, not just for California, which is, you know, a whole other beast, which yes. they can go to your, um, very amazing created that I'm like, oh my God, it's like an MBA and a book and a blog <laughs> and a, every, anyway, whatever. Um, so anyway, they essentially establish that the type of relationship that you have with the person that's working for you must be an employee if they're literally in the day-to-day -day operations of your company. So if you're accurately hiring an operations person, whether it's coordinator, assistant, manager, director, whatever, they're going to be an employee because ideally they're not going to be able to do their job well and serve you well in the operations of the company, unless they are, you know, essentially categorized by the IRS as being an employee. Most other positions though, you can create a role that serves your company, serves the person that's helping you. Um, maybe you want to create a role specifically for your community manager. That's doing a really good job. And you, she wants to stay as a contractor. You can make accommodations for that to ensure that you're meeting the legal and ethical needs of the position as well as what your company needs. But what we're finding is that our online business owners like you are taking these, you know, four or five or six different roles and they could have just been one thing mm -hmm. and they could have been one person that's helping you do all of this at the same time. It's not super common. I 
would generally say that we're going to have a left brain person and a right brain person on their team, a more creative person and a more analytical person. So usually it's going to be hard for you to find somebody that can do every role on your team, the tech and the creative and the, you know, graphic design and, you know, all that good stuff. Um, but ideally what we'd like to do is separate things out into common tasks that people can do, especially if you don't already have people on your team doing these things that are going to be within the same brain space. So if you're going to hire a graphic designer, they're probably going to be a little bit more creative. They may not be great at writing, but if you're going to hire a tech VA that specializes in building systems and programs, they're probably also not going to love doing copywriting. So it's just a different way that we yeah. work. And we can think about that for how we work too. So ideally for your two people, your community manager and your marketing person, could they be the same person? Maybe. Does your company need one person? And then also, do, do you want to have one person that is like embodying your brand voice, responds to you daily, that you can anticipate how much money they're going to make, that you're going to pay them an hourly rate that you set, you're going to build their job description, you're going to manage their performance, you're going to lead them, um, and they're going to be able to take on parts of your business that maybe you didn't think you were going to be able to delegate before because they've become another version of you. And I don't say a clone of you because that's not the way we teach leadership. We don't want a bunch of clones of us running around. If that were the case, then we just hire a bunch of other entrepreneurs and then in 10 weeks, they're going to go and start their own business. <laughs> literally it's 10 weeks. Like I'm not just like throwing that number out there because 90 days is an introductory period. And the people that want to start their own business always find out before their 90 days. So well, I, think that's, <laughs> I think that's a big, I think that's a big part of the issue. And also to like, to clarify the, with these two roles, I would probably not be, if I was going to go hire someone new, they could definitely be done by one person. But the question right. will be more of, do we make both of these people employees or one of them an employee and keep one a contractor? Um, don't and worry, Chandra or Emily, your, your jobs aren't going anywhere. Yeah. And like community, like, especially if it's working great. And I think some people think I'm just like employee, 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 but like we help people design contractor positions in their company too, but it's more coming from a place of you can't ask them to do that. Yeah. So what are the things you can versus when it's an employee, it's literally what do you want them to do? Let's design, design the job role. Let's design the KPIs. Let's design the job ad, which is essentially marketing, putting your company out there and let's create a place for you to man, like an environment for in which you can manage that. Yeah. So like your community so, manager, they have to be certain places at certain times. I'd probably lean in the direction more of an employee for that role versus somebody like your marketing person that can do most of that work independently. Yeah. So that if we were working together, that's what I would say. Tell me more about your community manager role. Does it, does it benefit you to have them be able to respond more quickly, quickly to things, you know, that kind of stuff and going yeah. in that direction, but don't blow up a team that's working just because no. you feel like you have an employee. <laughs> so a couple of follow-up questions on that. Like we talked about, we talked about bringing on contractors as employees and you mentioned, you know, like you hire an entrepreneur, then they might want to go start their own business. Mm -hmm. And I think this is a big part of the issue in this space is or maybe, I mean, maybe it's not an issue, but we're hiring, especially when you hire a VA, right? You're hiring someone who has a VA business. Mm -hmm. And so they may want to be a business owner. They may not want to be an employee. Mm -hmm. Do you see that as like a common problem? Because if I have, then the issue is, is like, I've decided, no, no, no. I actually want to hire an employee for this role. Should mm -hmm. I stop going through these uh, avenues that we're more used to going through as online or creative business owners, like Facebook groups and all this stuff, and then go more into like their traditional, like quote unquote, like corporate search avenues to find a, find the person for that role? 
Definitely. Cause it's a completely different mindset. So when you're starting out looking for a job as an employee, you're looking for a company to kind of take you under their wing. They, you know, we may provide perks, you may provide benefits, you may provide a certain um, salary level. And 92% of people identify as not being an entrepreneur. So only 8% of people are like, I have an entrepreneurial spirit. I want to start my own business, blah, 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 blah. So most people are looking for a job where they can show up, clock in, do their work, be invested, do a great job, have a relationship. It doesn't mean they're less than, it just means that that's what they're interested in. And that's most people. In the online space, we interact only with other entrepreneurs or mostly with other entrepreneurs, with the exception of like friends and family members that may be going out and getting jobs and things like that. And I think that that's, you nailed it like right on the head. Like there's just definitely a different type of person for those roles. And it has to be really established within the expectations of what you're offering for that role. Um, if you're trying to move a contractor over to an employee position, there's really, you know, if you're going to be making these roles into contractor roles anyway, but they're just your employees because you want them to do a couple of extra things, it may not work out. You really have to build the role first. And then what I would generally do is invite our contractors that we love so much to apply for the role. Um, but that really only matters if you're doing it in a way that's going to save you a whole bunch of money because maybe you're paying 50, 60, $70 an hour for a marketing strategist, but then you can hire somebody for 25 and you can take two weeks and train them and get the same results. Right. So it's really just kind of picking and choosing. It does make me, it does make me really curious though, how many people are out there who started VA businesses. Um, but really like deep down, they don't want to be a business owner. They just did it because they like hated the job that they were in and they just, you know, it's kind of, they thought that it was going to be the answer, but really they would be a better fit being an employee. Um, yeah, I feel like yeah. there are a lot of people that probably fit. Yeah, that. you're right. And we hear about that a lot too. So don't like count people out. Just say like, oh, you probably want to start your own business, whatever. Like give everyone the exact same opportunity to show them what you need for an employee role. And if they're like, yeah, that sounds awesome. I'd love to have 15 hours a week and I can work with my other clients the rest of the time, but I know I can set myself up with a consistent salary. I love working with Brayden. It's so fun. It's fulfilling. I love the direction things are going. That's awesome. You know, there's no reason that you can't bring them on as an employee, but just make sure that your expectations are clear. And it usually sets people up really well. Um, Or they're going to look at it and be like, Ugh, no, because this is going to prevent me from growing my business. And I don't want to put you in that position. Like, I'll just keep helping, helping you out the way things are. And like, we'll just right. keep going in this direction until you get to a point where you're like, all right, there's a reason that employees are, work for all these big companies. We're entrepreneurs. We got to move fast. We got to get things done. The more success we have, the more things we need done in less time. And that's what employees are really for. So, okay. So, also, just to let everyone know, uh, if you missed it two weeks ago, I did I did an episode on the legalities of contractors versus employees. So like, that's why we're just mostly not talking about that today. If you all are curious, like, go listen. I've done a really thorough blog, uh, podcast on AB5 before, which is like a clusterfuck of a law for us California folks. <laughs> and then the last episode was contractor laws by state. So people can tune in. All right, Kira. I want to circle back to this conversation of the operations person, because I feel like, at least for me, and maybe for other people, what happens is we hire someone to be like, oh, you're going to be like my community manager, like the Facebook group manager, like the this or the that. And then we start giving them more and more tasks that are operations oriented, because I'm like, 
I don't want to spend my time like sending out failed payment emails, like that kind of stuff. So I'm curious. um, Also, for some more context here, a lot of my audience are not going to be fellow course creators. They're going to be, they're going to be wedding professionals. They're going to be graphic designers. So, you know, similar other service-based businesses. So if they were going to hire a similar person in their business, it'd likely be someone to help with the communication with their one-on-one clients, right? So what are some common pitfalls you see when people start to hire for a role like that or train for a role like that? Because I can tell you, like, I would love to fully have an operations person, but I don't like totally know how to train that person or what tasks I should be giving them. Yeah. So the greatest thing about hiring an employee with experience in the role that, you know, you need help in is that you're going to get to interview, choose the precursors that they're going to need to bring to the table. And you're actually hiring somebody that is going to be able to answer those questions for you. So yes, we do hire contractors to help us put those things together, but I always feel like it's very fragmented. Like I hired somebody to put together my project management system and that was an operations task. And then they were gone and I said, goodbye, have a nice life. And then the next person comes in and they helped, helped me with some other form of the operation side of things to keep things like the tech or whatever the situation was at the time. And then the next person comes in, they help me with the website and managing the blogs and the work flow for social media and the next person comes in and they help me with you know I had a membership or have a membership so then it's coordinating slack messages for the membership and then another person comes in and they help me do state by state law audits and then eventually it was just like one person could do all of these things but I don't know how it all fits together so the person that I hired was somebody that knows how to do those things so they know how to run operations they know how things are going to work and I'm not telling them every single task to do Kylie's bringing me the things that we need to do because that's why I hired her. I hired her to fill the gap in the things that I don't have time to do or that I have no interest in doing. (laughs) So at the end of the day, you look for the person that's going to be the yin to your yang, that's going to be able to bring the knowledge that you don't have. And they're going to be able to bring it every single day. So then this project management system that I hired somebody to build has now been completely upturned and made more efficient, effective, and automated because my operations person is in the day-to-day of my business and it's constantly evolving, developing and changing. And it's given us so much more freedom because I don't have to explain every single day, here are the offers we're working on, here are the lives we're doing, here's the social media campaigns we're doing, here's what our newsletter's doing. They already know because they're in on all of it. So when it comes to operations, you can find support that's more fragmented and it can be super valuable. But when you get to a certain point where you're like, I'm doing a lot of fragmenting and nothing, there's no, thread that's tying everything together, that's when you really need to look for an operations person. And most of our online businesses, but to your question, like what's the mistake people are making is that they're looking for somebody to help them make sales before they really have their operations in order. So as solopreneurs, our operations are in order because half of them are in our head. So we're like, yeah, we got it. Like, I know what to do when this happens. I know what to do when that happens. I've been doing this for 10 years, learning to delegate, figuring things out. I have a team of five managers, a director under me. And I still looked at myself in the mirror six months ago and I was like, why do I not have time to write a blog about why I don't have time to write a blog because I'm not delegating? (laughs) Why, like, I need to accept that this is something that I need help with. And being an operations director for so many years that, you know, operations and HR is my title, it was hard for me to come to 
to that conclusion that like, I'm not doing the best version of this. And the person that I'm going to bring in is going to upturn things a little bit, but they're going to know the ins and outs of the business. So there's so much more context. So, so how do you, how, okay. So if you're looking for this person to do help with operations, customer support, client, client support, and you're expecting that they have enough experience to bring to the table, the solutions and the processes how do you go about writing that job description? Because if you don't have like, cause you don't have all the tasks in mind, you're like, I'm going to need you to create some of your own tasks. Do you just say like your number one objective is like client customer satisfaction. I'm like, we're expecting you to figure that the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's actually a huge part of what we do because we've worked with so many different types of positions that we can help you identify what the position title should be, what their KPI and metrics should be and their overall all results that they should be hitting. So they're going to actually put together the little pieces. When you create a job description, and this is kind of an unpopular opinion in the online space because we know way too much about our businesses. But when I create a job description, it's one, one and a half pages long. When other people create a job description, it's a list of 500 tasks that they know that this has to, that this person has to get done. Really, that's not a job ad or a job description. That's just a list of tasks. So ideally when you're oh, looking like for trying to put full SOPs and like they're <laughs> it's, it's kind of SOPs. It's kind of like fragmented SOPs because it's not really giving them the whole picture and they don't want to tell people what systems they're using. And so it's like, I want to give them all the information so they know what they're doing. But when you go look for a job, you're looking at like the mission and the vision and the values of the company, the general responsibilities of the company and operations people, if they're looking for an operations job, they're going to put all those pieces together on their own. So it's really up to you as a manager and as a leader to interview people productively, effectively, efficiently, and strategically to make sure that you're finding a person that can fill the gaps there. And we see that mistake made a lot because our online business owners are like, well, I want to make more sales. I can have somebody come in and be a social seller and help me sell these services or in the wedding industry. Like I have a couple of clients that are also in the wedding industry and it's, they need people in person. They're facilitating elopements. They're navigating between vendors. All of that is an employee role because they're, they're adopting the voice of your brand. Mm -hmm. If you were to hire me, my job is to adopt the voice of your brand, to create your policies based on all the different things that we work on. But I'm also not going to go out into the world and put out content in your brand voice. But my employee is doing that for me. She's creating content. She's writing blogs. She's posting on social media. She's creating caption. And it's in, it's adopting our brand voice versus some people, it doesn't really matter. You know, the copywriter, their job is to adopt your brand voice to give you a project, a product. But for our employees, they're doing it every single day in our client interaction. So I think that's a big thing for wedding people is it's protecting your brand to have people that are working for you, interacting with clients, interacting with other vendors that are going to speak in the policies and the voice that you have created to represent who you are as a company. And people really underestimate the power of that because that's what's going to get you referrals is they yeah. know whoever they talk to at your company is going to give them the same feeling, the same vibe, the same experience. And that's why the referrals keep coming in because they know they can count. Yeah. So speaking about, you know, hiring someone who can speak in your brand, if my, so our three like big core values in my business are fun, informative and transparent, right? Because we teach things that people are like scared about, don't want to deal with. So we try to make it fun, right? I'm also, yeah. we're both Enneagram sevens. So you get that. Um, <laughs> part of my, it's like one of my 
you know, qualities or whatever. How yeah. important is it to then try to infuse those values into your hiring process? Like how the do most. I make, like, <laughs> am I, am I, am like, am I trying to make uh, a, an offer letter that like is fun, but also then you don't want it, you know, you, you don't want it to look like you're not going to take your shit seriously. Like this is, you know. Yeah. So the way I would explain that is that it is probably the most important thing. The way that when you start the hiring process, you the first thing that you do is that you should have some semblance of an idea of what you want that person to do. If it's your first hire, you're not going to know exactly what that is. And it's okay for you to have a general idea. Um, but people don't take jobs because they know what tasks they're going to do. They stay engaged with their jobs because they're getting paid fairly. They can see what the growth trajectory is and they're committed to the mission and values of the company. So ideally your mission and value should be front and center. So when I, like, I don't know how much we can talk about this on the podcast, but my values are very, very like equal, equal rights. You know, we want to make sure that everybody feel like black lives matter. I don't want to deal with anybody that is like, maybe doesn't believe in science. Um, and it was like first <laughs> sentence of my job posting, like, Hey, this is the company I'm working for. This is what it's like to work for me. Like, I don't have time for that. I, I mean, you can I, just, you can just say if people have gone down the QAnon rabbit hole, like you don't want them on your team. Like we get, we get really, we get real, real here. And I even, <laughs> when I sent out my, like, um, my thing, even for my copywriting contractor, I said, this is part of our value statement. And I said all of those things. And I was like, if yeah. you're not on board, you're going to be really uncomfortable on our calls because like me and my four contractors got into like a rabbit hole discussion for half an hour on like politics the other day. And I know that, yeah. you know, we should maybe keep that out of business, but if everyone's more or less on the same page, then I, I think it's kind great. Of, yeah. And I don't think, I really think I don't think that like, it's impossible where we are now with social media and the information overload and all of that stuff, you can possibly not feel safe at your job if the uh -huh. values aren't in alignment. So not only is it like, I'll just like reframe this in like a very like spinny kind of way, but like, here's what I think. And I want my person to be so comfortable working for me and understand exactly what they're going to get that I want them to say, nope, I'm scrolling right past that because I will not be comfortable there. Like there are so many people out there looking for jobs that you can, my employee, Kylie, she doesn't care if I tell anyone this, she was on vacation when she, when she got like an Indeed post or like an email that was like, you might be interested in this job. And I got 180 applicants in three days and she didn't send me a resume or anything. And she has a master's in HR, but she was like, I'm on vacation. So I can't apply for this job right now. I'm not even looking for a job, but I want to work here. I want this job. I love these values. I love, she has a, you know, similar experience. She's our lead HR and operations strategist. Like she's all in on HR, all in on operations. And she's like, I want to work with this job. Please don't give it away until I get home from vacation so I can formally apply. I interviewed 30 people, which was really ridiculous. I don't recommend that for anyone. I actually recommend hiring a recruiter, but I was like so committed to finding the right person that I was like, yeah, of course, like, you know, fill it in, whatever. I'll see your application when it comes through. I interviewed her. She was one of the last people I interviewed. And I still go back to that cover letter thinking like, wow, I would have saved myself a lot of time had I picked the person that was so into my values and my mission that I knew they were the right fit. I actually canceled our second interview and just sent her the offer letter. So nice. all of that was done prior to the offer letter. And then to your point, which you can probably speak to this a lot more, we aren't, we don't go into that in the offer. Like, it's like, this is how much you're getting paid. Like we want it to be clear, straightforward and structured. It's not all like rainbows, butterflies and, and, you know, 
anti-racism, at the end of the day, it's actually going to be about creating a structured and specific job for this person that's going to be relying on you for their livelihood. And that's what the offer letter, the contracts, the policies, all of that lives in. It's not actually fun, but our mission every day when they're showing up for work is what's going to keep them engaged. And that's where you can use HR to create that environment that feels safe and comfortable for people. Um, But they also got to do their job and they know what's expected of them. So- So I actually, so I had a student of mine who wanted to put a core value statement in their contract because this all stemmed from, there was a wedding photographer who had their client cancel last minute because the wedding photographer spoke out in support of Black Lives Matter. And then the client asked for a refund because the client said, my husband is a police officer and I don't think we'd be comfortable having you at the wedding knowing that you're anti-police, which obviously lots of Lots of uh, unlogical leaps in, in logic there. So we won't get into that. Um, but yeah. I told her, I was like, this isn't something I put in your contract. It's something that I would just put like uh, front and center on your website. I would maybe even put it like above your intake page so that you're weeding out these people before they ever contact you. And then you don't need to do it in your contract. And I would do the same thing in the hiring process. Mm-hmm. So to give some more context, like the conversation I was having with my VAs on Monday is we were essentially talking about um, like diversity among programs for online educators and how, you know, it's a red flag. Like uh, it's a red flag if you're a person of color and the only testimonials in a program that you want to join are all like white folks, right? We also were talking about um, other like big name uh, people in the wedding industry who have no POC, like POC representation on their Instagram. And then how that, like it might be, Uh, people of color might be weary to then go reach out to that person to hire them. So we're not just, you know, like getting, we're just like debating politics, right? These are very, very important issues in the industry. And you can imagine, you know, if you have certain people who think that those conversations are bullshit, they're like not going to be a good fit on the team. So hundred percent and businesses. So at the end of the day, I'm a business strategist and I'm here to make the most money with the less out, the least amount of output and yeah. diversity is amazing for your bottom line. And so if you're able to create, if you are willing and able to create policies within your company that are going to increase and impact the diversity of your team and your clients, your business is going to do better. So whether you want to look at this as like a black and white situation of money or no money, diversity is still really important and showing your values is still really important because it eventually is going to increase your bottom line and people will make arguments against that all the time but those people are stupid (laughs) and they haven't read the research and over the last few years we have such an amazing wealth of research out there that's telling us that if you stretch and you expand on what you're comfortable with working with every day your business is just going to be able to stretch and expand with you and you can use your hr policies and you can use your hiring strategies in order to contribute to that And like just the other day, I posted a picture of our team. It's small. There's three of us. We're all white girls. We all come from the same socioeconomic background. In all fairness, I thought that my employee or my intern Mallory was Chinese because she speaks fluent Chinese. Um, And she's a DE&I chair for all of her, all these different clubs that she's been in all the way since she was in high school. And so I... I wrongfully assumed she was a person of color, but she was really the right person for the job. And so in order to make sure that it wasn't just an excuse, I wanted to acknowledge in my Instagram post, introducing my team, that we're all white people that come from the same backgrounds. And 
this isn't an excuse, but we got to do better. And the next time I have an opportunity to, to do that, I'm going to, I'm going to work towards it. I'm going to make sure that I have more diversity yeah. and I'm going to make sure that it isn't just me feeling comfortable working with more people that look like me. So I think that if you can't a hundred percent find a way to bring diversity into your team or into your clients, then at least acknowledge it in a real way and take accountability for those areas that you are lacking. It doesn't make me a bad person that I'm lacking in this area, but it kind of makes me a shitty business owner. And so I'm going to acknowledge it. This is something I'm not great at and I want to get better, but it's no excuse. Like hold me accountable. Here's an invitation to do that. And we can do that with our, with our HR policies, avoiding politics, avoiding discussion about race, avoiding um, religion, avoiding all of these things that make us all different, unique, and special is not an actual way to create diversity. That's just an, a way to avoid it and to give us excuses. So just making sure that you're not giving yourself like a platform to stand on that's like, well, my viewpoint is this and like, you know, religion comes up a lot. I don't have any values against religion because you can bring in lots of different diverse people, even though I happen to not be religious. So that's not something that I value in my business. It's something that I welcome diversity and change, just like the same thing with culture. However, if you have different political values than me, call them politics, call them values, whatever, you probably aren't going to be that happy. And I really want you to be happy. <laughs> so. yeah. yeah. Mentioning religion is like making me want to talk about the Dave Ramsey company. And I don't, I don't want to get we should talk about that at our, at our next launch, but you know, that's another right. way to run your business. If your Christian values are really that important to you, that you're going to monitor the sex lives of your employees. It's a, it could be a fun topic for another day. Right. Um, it's so weird. So I want to take a hard, I want to take a hard pivot. Um, I have a couple, I have a couple more just like kind of general random questions. Mm-hmm. I am obsessed with personality assessments Ooh. and yes. And <laughs> I can kind of give everyone a primer right now that just vaguely speaking in most States, probably everywhere, you can't really deny someone a job because they're like the wrong astrological sign or the wrong Enneagram type or the wrong MBTI, but it can be part of the process. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious from your perspective, are they actually useful or are they just like fun to talk about? Well, hiring? I think it's actually a little bit of both. So I've been trained in StrengthsFinder. So that is a cognitive assessment where you take a test and you get five strengths. Um, and then we believe in strengths-based leadership, which essentially means that, and I don't, I don't mean to say we believe because I don't, my therapist told me, don't believe everything you think. So I'm trying to do that. Um, sure, sure. But I think um, that it works really well to know what your strengths are and to know what your team's strengths are so that you can help manage them. Um, I don't think think that most people that are going to listen to this podcast or most people in the world are going to be experts enough in personality assessments to make any kind of educated hiring guesses based on what someone's personality assessment looks like. So while I do think it's really cool to have something like the Colby, which is a cognitive assessment, which means it doesn't change ever for your whole life. Um, as part of your hiring process, I would just be more wary of Enneagram and although we love them um, and StrengthsFinder and other things that you could take a test at any point in your life, given what you've been through and it can change. And we hope it does. I hope that my StrengthsFinder changes if, you know, over from when I'm 22 and like raging every weekend out with my friends to like being 
five years married and like only into housewives now. Like I would probably have a completely different set of circumstances that are contributing to what my results would be for that based on my values, how I've grown, things like that. It doesn't make one better than the other, but it does make me different. And so the only one that I would say that you can use during the hiring process is the Colby because it doesn't change. When you take that, it's a paid test. You take the test, you get your scores. Um, and it tells you a lot about what the way that the person makes decisions and not what those decisions look like from the outside. However, even though I know a lot about Colby, I still have an expert coming in to speak to my leadership group about it because unless you're certified, you can't, you can't really, we're not equipped to make decisions yeah. like that. And we're not equipped to know how that is supposed to work and how that's supposed to be optimized. So what I would say to do is use those personality assessments to manage your team. And if you're using them to hire, make sure that you have people in your corner that can help you to decipher what those results really mean and what they look like for your team and how they interact with you. Okay. I think the Colby's is probably the only one I haven't done. Oh my God, <laughs> you got to do it. <laughs> yeah, I haven't done that one. I have done StrengthsFinder a couple of times. I did it like in undergrad for a class and then I did it like as a grown adult with a business. Yeah. So that one's fun. Yeah. Okay. I could talk about personality assessments all day. Let's um, let's start to wrap up. Let's see what other. Okay, so quickly, this this literally could be a whole podcast episode. So we're <laughs> gonna do a very 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 broad overview, and then maybe we'll record another podcast episode in the future. Um, the only one we hadn't really touched on are what are the steps in the hiring process. So if you had to condense it into like a three to like six bullet pointed. Uh, timeline, what would those steps be? It's so it's, there's just so many like sub <laughs> sub tasks, yeah. I guess. Um, but I would say figure out exactly what you're going to need to hire based on what you are overwhelmed with and what you don't like to do. So essentially I'll start in that area and then basically be clear about the general overall picture of what that person should be doing and then start to look for how you're going to title that role um, and then prepare your business for what it looks like for that person to come in. Um, those are going to be ideal. That's like kind of all maybe like two or three steps, um, figure out what the role is, then name the role and then prepare your business. And then once you get to that point, when you're talking about preparing your business, then you're talking more about what you're teaching people, which is make sure you have the insurance, make sure that you're registered in the correct states, make sure you know how to run payroll, make sure you have an EIN, you know, you're the expert, you can do all that. Um, and then from there, the actual hiring is probably just the last two steps, you know, posting the job ad and pick interviewing people picking the person is only one of those steps and i think most people think that those are what all of those steps are going to be right. it's just like post the ad pick the person hire the person orientation the person manage the person that's only one step you got to do all these other things first then you actually go out and find hire and hire the person and then the rest of your life <laughs> While you have an employee, you are now a manager. So you're not just a solopreneur, a CEO, like managing your business, you're managing another human person. So now you need to work on yourself. That's how you manage people. You work nice. on yourself. You look at what your priorities are. You look at what your values are. You make sure you can articulate them. You step out of your comfort zone. You have difficult conversations. You equip yourself with things to become a better leader, not just a better I mean, generally a better leader is becoming a better version of yourself. Um, but being confident in that is going to be super key to that step. So I would just say it's really going to be about knowing who you're going to hire first, 
going and finding them and then really preparing yourself to manage them. Love it. Okay. So here's, here's what I want everyone to do. All right. If you want the 401 on hiring and you're not already a member of profit RX, you need to go join the profitrx.com. I've recently kind of pivoted that offer. Go see past podcast episodes. Very, very exciting stuff. What we're going to do in the program is I'm going to help you determine, like, can you legally even work with a contractor? If no, you need to hire an employee. And if you can legally work with a contractor, maybe you still want to work with an employee, in which case I do have some resources in there to help you. But you can also hire Kira, who's going to help you with a lot more than just the legal stuff. Uh, And inside the program, I, of course, have Kira's contact information. But don't worry, Kira, we're not going to make people pay me to get your contact info. We will also put it... (laughs) in the description of this podcast episode. As we wrap up here though, final question. I tell everyone if they want to be besties with me, they should just go join my Facebook group, Braden's Besties, bradensbesties.com. If they want to be one of Kira's besties, what's the best way to follow you? Definitely on Instagram. That's where I generally interact with most people, especially people in our space. Um, I'm on other platforms, but I'll be honest, other people manage those. Um, <laughs> <laughs> sure. So Instagram. And then also I, there's just something about your program and the way that we connected and everything. It just, we go so well together. Cause I always talk about HR being like kind of the middle piece between accounting and legal. And uh-huh. like the fact that you're both of those, I'm like, okay, cool. Now I only just need one other piece. Um, so <laughs> I think it just, they fit so well together and our strategy of like figuring out what those people are and who they are goes so well with like your side of things, which is like the stuff that people really worry about. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, ideally like connect with me on Instagram, but also your program is like fucking amazing. Like I've never seen anything like it. When you showed me that book, I like almost passed out and I was like, what am I doing? I'm useless. I'm quitting my business. Like I couldn't believe how amazing everything is there. (laughs) And like, I don't know if you like plug yourself enough on here, but like, that's like a great value. Like I know there's like a joke. Everybody's like, raise your prices. And I'm like, what the hell? Like that is such a good program. Like I wish I could make it a precursor for people to work with me because it really is all the stuff that I hate. Send them over, send them over. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Those were all very flattering words and I appreciate it. I do think the future um, is going to involve a lot of my listeners working with both of us, which will be super, super fun. Um, fun. Why are we the most fun and the smartest and coolest? The most fun. Yeah. After our, <laughs> after our coffee date, our lunch date, I like jokingly mentioned, we should just like start a business together. We could do yeah. literally, we could do like literally everything. Um, God knows I do not need to take on any more projects, but Kira, this was super fun. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Hey there, before you go, I wanted to give a quick thanks. Thanks so much for tuning into the show. If you loved it, I would love for you to take a screenshot of the episode or snap a quick selfie while you are listening. Share it on social and give me a tag. It'll help other kick-ass entrepreneurs like yourself find the show. That's it for today. I'll be back soon with a new episode. Meanwhile, let's roll up our sleeves and unfuck that biz.